what you know we need this morning. We desperately need to hear from you. And by faith, we approach you with open ears and with open hearts. And Lord, we simply ask that you would speak. Lord, speak. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many could say amen to that? Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Um, this morning, we are going to finish up our study on the seven letters to the seven churches found in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Um, for the past few months, we've been looking at these messages that the Lord gave to the seven churches of Asia Minor. We've been learning from them. We've been comforted by them, and we've been challenged by them. And and we're going to finish up our study, and we are going to look at the final message, the final letter that the Lord Jesus gave to the church of the Laodiceans, the church of Laodicea. It's found in Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. If you recall last week, we looked at the sixth of the seven letters written to the church of Philadelphia. And we said that the church of Philadelphia is what we call the faithful church. That's the church that we want to imitate and and emulate, the church of Philadelphia. The Lord told this church and he praised this church for their strength, for their obedience, and for their devotion, that this church were depending on the Lord, they were obeying the Lord, and they were staying devoted and committed to the Lord. And, and the Lord was pleased with this church. He didn't give them any word of correction, but he only had words of praise to give to them. And as Jesus was finishing up his message, he exhorted this church really to do one thing. The Lord just encouraged this church to do one thing. He told them, I'm coming quickly. My return is near. So hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. In other words, the Lord wanted this church to understand that he was soon returning And that they needed to continue doing what they were doing. They needed to continue to staying faithful, staying obedient, and staying devoted to Jesus. Because soon Jesus was coming back for them. And the Lord didn't want them to miss out on any of the rewards that were coming with him. And so last Sunday we looked at the faithful church, the church of Philadelphia. And this morning, we're going to finish up there in verse 14 through 22 in chapter 3, and we're going to examine the letter to the church of Laodicea. And so if you have your Bibles open and if you have the little notes that were given to you in the front, 
Let's look at this message and let's see what the Spirit wants to tell his church this morning. Let's read it together. Everybody with me? Revelations 3, verse 14. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother, for raising your hand. Let's see what it says. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen. How many can say amen to that? Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Let's read verse 22 together out loud. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to examine this final letter that the Lord gave to the church of Laodicea. If you guys can look with me in verse 14, the Lord begins his message by declaring to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? And if you recall, we said in previously studies that here at the beginning of these messages, these letters, the term angel that is mentioned is most likely a, a reference to the pastor or the spiritual leader of the church. And so don't get confused with that, but the Lord is, is making reference to the pastor of the church. Now, the city of Laodicea, it was located about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia, of the church that we covered last week. And, and, and during the time that this message, that this letter was written, the city of Laodicea was a very wealthy in a very prosperous city. Historians teach us that it was actually the, the banking center of all the region 
of Asia Minor. So it was a very rich, a very wealthy, a very prosperous city. The the city was known for, for many things. It was known for its production of clothing, its production of carpets. Um, It was known for a a medical school that was located within the city. And it's interesting that this medical school was actually very famous for producing an eye ointment to treat eye disease. And, And why is that interesting? Because the Lord makes reference to the eye ointment, and, and the believers would have understood what he was referring to. And so this city, it had everything, a very wealthy, a very prosperous city. It was self-sufficient, self-governed, and very rich. And so the Lord took the time and he addressed this final message to this church who lived in a very wealthy city. And as we're going to see, this church was also very wealthy, but the Lord is going to expose them. And the Lord is going to tell them, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you have nothing. And so let's examine this message, this letter And let's look at four things. As we begin, I just want to say this on the side, that the church of Laodicea were given no word of commendation by the Lord. The Lord had nothing good to say to this church. We refer to them as the lukewarm church. And so this is the church that we want to try to stay away from imitating. We want to imitate the church of Philadelphia, and we want to try to stay away from the church of Laodicea. We like to say that it represents the apostate church that is going on today in church history. And so let's begin our study and let's look at four things. And if you have your outline that you were given outside, let's look at them together. The first thing we want to see is the description of Christ, the description of Christ. The the Lord begins his message by describing himself in three ways to this church. And let's look at them briefly. They're there in verse 14. First, the Lord describes himself as the amen, as the amen. How many can say amen to that amen? Now, this description by the Lord, this is what the Lord is trying to emphasize. This is what the Lord is trying to teach us about himself. The Lord wants us to understand that he is infinitely wise and he is absolutely sovereign over all things. The Lord Jesus is the amen. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. Everything Jesus does, everything Jesus says, and everything Jesus permits allows to happen, all we would say is amen. Amen, Lord. So be it, Lord. You are in control. 
You are wise. You know what you're doing. You are sovereign. You know best. Amen, Lord. Amen. And so when the Lord tells us that he's the amen, he's telling us that he's wise. He's sovereign. And he knows what's best. That there's no reason why we have to complain or we have to murmur or we have to clinch a fist and say, why, God? There's no reason to say why. All we need to say is, amen. He's the amen. He knows the best way to bring us to the place where he wants us to be. And that place is the best place. And all we need to do is trust in him and say, amen. So be it, Lord. You know what you're doing. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Many of you know it. It simply says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. When we understand that Jesus is the amen and that Jesus is in complete control and is infinitely wise, it's a lot easier to trust in him with all our heart. And so we just rest in the wisdom and the sovereignty of Jesus. And whatever you're going through or whatever you will go through as a believer, learn to say amen instead of saying why. Because God is in control. How many can say amen to that? Amen. It's a little play on words. So first, the Lord describes himself as the amen. Now, secondly, in verse 14, the Lord describes himself as the faithful and true witness. As the faithful and true witness. Now, when the Lord tells us that he's the faithful and true witness, This is what the Lord is saying. Everything he says is faithful and true. Jesus, he faithfully and truthfully revealed God to the world. Jesus, the son of God, was sent by God to be a witness of the father. Jesus, he revealed God to us. Everything God wanted to say, he said in his son. And so as a believer, and even as a non-believer, if we want to get to know God, all we have to do is study the person of Christ. Because he's the faithful and the true witness. He is God, and he faithfully revealed God. That's why the father said concerning the son, there in Matthew 17, 5, 
This is what the father said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. This is my son. I've sent him. I'm pleased with him. Hear him. Listen to him. He will never misdirect you or misguide you. He's the faithful and true witness. Isn't it so neat that God has not only spoken to us through creation and through the conscience, but he's also spoken to us through his son and through his word. And we can depend. We could trust that witness because Jesus is the faithful and true witness. You know, when Ever I, I think of that title of the Lord, this is what I ask myself. In the same way that Jesus faithfully, truthfully revealed the Father to the world, in the same way am I faithfully, truthfully revealing the Son to the world. Jesus was a witness to the Father, and the Bible teaches us that we are witnesses to the Son. And this is the question. What kind of witness are we giving to others? Is it a faithful witness? Is it a truthful witness? Or is it a shameful witness, a blasphemous witness? We need to make sure that wherever we're at or whatever we're doing, that we're faithfully being a witness to Jesus Christ. What did the Lord say? He said, you are the light of the world. And a few verses later, the Lord would say, let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works, that they may see your life. And they may glorify your father in heaven. Is your life causing God to be glorified or is your life causing God to be shamed? That is the question we need to ask ourselves every day. We got to be faithful in true witnesses because we serve the faithful in true witness. Amen. Let's look at the third thing the Lord tells us concerning himself. You know, I love these messages because you can learn so much about Jesus in these descriptions. You know, one of the greatest desires in my heart is I want to learn and get to know Jesus. And in all these letters, Jesus takes the time to describe himself to us. And he's kind of like, hey, get to know me. This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. So thirdly, there in verse 14, the Lord describes himself as the beginning of the creation of God. Now, when you read that at first glance, it seems to be very problematic. And a lot of people have a problem with it, especially Jehovah Witnesses. And this is the question that they ask us. Jesus said that he's the beginning of the creation of God. Therefore, 
That means that Jesus had a beginning. That means that God created Jesus. And so the Jehovah Witnesses, they they love to take that verse and they love to throw it in our face because we believe that Jesus never had a beginning, nor will he ever have an end. He's eternal. But this verse seems to be a little problematic at first glance. But as you look more into it and as you study it, there's really no problem. Let me explain. The word beginning in the Greek is the word arche. It's from, it's where we get our word architect. And the word simply means source, origin, or the first cause. And so this is what the Lord is saying. This is what the Lord's trying to communicate to, to us. That when he's the beginning of the creation of God, he is telling us that he's the source. He's the origin. He's the first cause of the creation. The Lord is trying to tell us that he's the beginner. He is the creator of all things. He wasn't created, but it was by him and through him and for him, everything was created. Isn't it so amazing to think that Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our best friend, he's the creator of everything. Amen. And he is the only one worthy of our worship, our praise, in our time, because we were created by him, through him, and we were created for him. You know, in, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11, we see that the 24 elders, whom I personally believe represent the church, they're there before God, and they're worshiping him with this song. They're saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. And then they say these words, which are filled with meaning. They say, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What is that verse teaching us? Simply this, that we were created by God and we were created for God. That's the purpose of life, is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We were created for God's glory, and we were created to enjoy God's glory. Amen? And so Jesus tells us that he is the amen that he is the faithful and true witness, and that he is the beginning or the beginner of the creation of God. Amen. So we see a description of Christ. Let's continue. And now let's look at the word of correction by Christ. The Lord brought a, a word of correction against two problems within the church. All was not well at the church of Laodicea 
And the Lord exposed them and the Lord brought them a, a strong word of correction against two problems. And, and let's look at them together. The first one is found in verses 15 and 16. And the Lord brings a word of correction against their spiritual neutrality. And let's read verses 15 and 16 together. And this is what the Lord says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So first, the Lord brought a word against the church's spiritual neutrality. Listen to this. The church of Laodicea had a very, very serious problem. And this was their problem. They had not made a complete, wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. But the church, they they were neutral. They were mediocre. They were lukewarm. They were the lukewarm church. This church, they had one foot in the church and they had one foot in the world. They were passionate for Jesus, but they weren't passionate for the things of the world. They were in between. They were on the fence. They were what I like to call tweens. Not on one side, not on another side, but they were just in between. They were tweens. They were tweenies. <laughs> that was the problem of this church. They were, were spiritual neutral. You know, on Sundays, you know, they loved the Lord. They raised their hands. They knew the songs. But on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, They loved the world. They loved the things of this world. And they were back and forth. They were neutral. They were in the middle. And because of this, the Lord Jesus told them, and this is so serious. The Lord told them, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You know, hot water, it has its uses. Amen. Tea, coffee, soup, broth, it has its uses. Cold water, it has its uses. Amen. You From a hard day of work, You get some cold water, it's refreshing. Amen, amen, huh, brother? Cold water has its uses. Hot water has its uses. But lukewarm water has no uses. Lukewarm water has no benefits. No one drinks it to receive any benefits, but it's actually the cause of nausea. It's the cause of making somebody want to throw up and the Lord tells this church you're not cold you're not hot 
you have no use. I have no use for you. And I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You're either for me, 110%, or you're against me. But there's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. There's no I love Jesus one day and the next day I love the world. That, that doesn't cut it with Jesus. It's so black and white. There's no gray area. The Lord Jesus is looking for a complete, wholehearted commitment from his church. Are you for the Lord or are you against the Lord? And if you can't answer that question like that, then you're against him. If you can't right off the bat say, I'm for the Lord, then you are against the Lord. There should be no thinking about it. If you're committed, man, you're committed all the way. But if you're not, then you're lukewarm. And the Lord says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. The Lord, he wants all of us. The Lord wants all of us. And if the Lord, if he can't have all of us, he can't have any of us. And, you know, I, I think this morning, a question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Does the Lord have all of us? Does the Lord have all of us? Because if he doesn't, then we need to make some changes. And we need to take action. Because the Lord, he wants all of us. And if he don't have all of us, he doesn't have any. Of us, And so first, the Lord corrects them for their spiritual neutrality. Let's look at the second thing that we see. The Lord also brings a word of correction against their spiritual poverty. If you can look with me, Revelations 3, verse 17. This is what the Lord says. Let's continue to read. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so, secondly, the Lord brings a word of correction against the church's spiritual poverty. The church of Laodicea, man, they were a wealthy church. They had money. They were rich. They were wealthy. They had everything this world had to offer materially. But the Lord Jesus, who knows all things, who sees all things, he exposed them. And the Lord Jesus told this church that maybe materially, physically, they have the money, they have the buildings, they, they have the things of this world. But spiritually, man, this church was wretched. This church was miserable. This church was poor. This church was blind. This church, man, they were naked. Outwardly, 
this church had everything, but inwardly, this church had nothing. Outwardly, everything looked good. They had the things of this world. They had the pleasures of this world, but the Lord Jesus exposed them. The Lord said, man, you don't have nothing. You're poor. You're miserable. You're wretched. You are bankrupt. The Lord exposed them, and the Lord gave them a word of correction. And really, this is what the Lord said. He said, listen up, church. You have a great need. Don't think everything is okay. Don't think because you got work, because you got a nice home, because you got a nice bank account. That doesn't mean that you're okay because you don't have me. And if you don't have me, you don't have anything. You know, there's a verse in the Bible in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. This is what Jesus said. And these are just such powerful words by the Savior. The Lord Jesus said, what profit is it? If you can help me out with the children, please. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. We have a a nursery there in the back. The Lord Jesus said this. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? What profit? You know, that's such a, a deep question that makes us think this morning. What profit is it if you have all the money, if you have all the cars, if you have all the jewelry, all the houses, all the wealth, What good does that do you if you end up going to hell? What good does it do you? Can you take it with you? Can you take it to the next life? Does the bank accounts get transferred into eternity? No. doesn't matter how good your bank is or how smart you might be. Everything stays. All that matters when it's all said and done is do you have Christ or don't you? Are you stepping into eternity covered by the blood or are you stepping into eternity as a condemned criminal before God? You know, that that just makes you think that just really stirs my heart. What profit this morning? What good are the riches? What good is success if you don't have Christ? You know, if you you don't have Christ this morning, if you're not serving Jesus with all your heart, listen to this. You have nothing straight up. Think about it. Get mad at me. Disagree with me. I don't care. It's the word. I love you so much and God loves you so much. He likes to talk to you this way because he wants you to prepare for eternity. Don't get so comfortable here that you're not thinking about eternity because one day you're here, the next day you're gone. And if you step into eternity without Jesus, all that's waiting for you 
is eternity separated from God, torment in the lake of fire. That is what's waiting for you. If you're not taking the word serious, if you're trusting in your riches, if you're trusting in your good works, the Lord looks at that and he says, man, you're miserable, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. If you don't have me, you don't have anything. And the Lord this morning, this is what he's doing. Come to me and be rich spiritually. Come to me and let me give you everything you need. Because without me, you can't do it. And that's what the Lord was telling this church. That spiritually, they're neutral. They're lukewarm. And he has no use for them. And spiritually, they're poor. They got the nice money. They got the fat bank account. But they're bankrupt. And they have nothing without Christ. And so the Lord corrects them. But the beautiful thing about it is the Lord doesn't end the message with a correction. He doesn't end the message by beating up the church, but the Lord exhorts them, and the Lord tells them what to do to get things better. And that's the third thing I want to show you and share with you. The word of exhortation by Christ, it's found in verses 19 and 20, there in Revelation chapter 3. And briefly, I want to share this. The Lord exhorts this church to do two things, to do two things. First, the Lord tells them to repent, to repent. Read verse 19 with me. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's some good words of exhortation. The Lord didn't. You know, tell them, hey, you need to go get counseling. You need to read this book, take a 12-step program, your purpose-driven church. No, the Lord just said, repent. Stop being lukewarm. Stop being neutral. Make a decision and be zealous for me. In other words, the Lord's saying, man, be hot, be passionate for me. This church, they needed to repent. They needed to recognize that they didn't have anything, that they were bankrupt. They needed to humble themselves and stop focusing on their riches and their works. But they needed to repent, confess that they were bankrupt, and they needed to turn to Jesus with all their heart. And they needed to be passionate and zealous for Jesus. And that's what the Lord exhorts us this morning. This morning, the Lord tells us in a loving way, stop being lukewarm. Stop being in the middle. Stop loving me one day and loving the world next day. Repent. Come to me and be passionate. Be zealous. For me, we need to be zealous for Jesus. We need to repent of lukewarmness. We need to be committed, passionate 
to Jesus every single day. Let me tell you this, and please just give me your utmost attention. What I'm about to tell you right now is so important. If you're going to be passionate for something, be passionate for Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people today that they're passionate for sports. They're passionate for video games. They're passionate for making money. They're passionate for different hobbies. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having passions in life. But our number one passion needs to be Jesus. You know, there's some people who they love music. I said, okay, praise God, I love music. But first be passionate about him who created the music. Amen. There's people passionate about ministry. Amen. Praise God. I can appreciate that. I could understand. But first be passionate who you're ministering to. Jesus. We need to be passionate. We need to be down for Christ. You know, there's a story of two young men in their teenage years, we believe, who were Moravian missionaries. And these two young men, they heard about an island filled with approximately 3,000 slaves that never heard the gospel. And the master, the owner of that island, this was his attitude. No missionary will ever come to this island. No one will ever preach the gospel to these slaves. I will reject them. I will refuse them. I will keep them away. And these two young men, these two Moravian missionaries, they were so passionate for Jesus that were told that they went to the slave owner, the master, and they sold themselves to him just that they might get a chance to preach the gospel to 3,000 slaves in the West Indies who never heard the gospel. They were so passionate for Christ that they were willing to give up their life for the cause of the gospel. And we're told that as they were embarking, as they were leaving the seaport to go to this island, that all their family and all their friends were wishing them well and and saying their goodbyes. And there was many of them who were questioning their actions, who were questioning their decision. They were thinking to themselves, you're so young. Why did you sell yourself into slavery? Why did you do what you did? And the story goes and the tradition tells us that in the midst of all the murmuring and the complaining by the friends and the loved ones that these two young men, as they were leaving, the only thing that they said were these words. May the lamb 
that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And they left, not for two weeks, not for a month, not for a year, but they sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery just that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. You know what I call that? I call that passion for Christ. And that's where the Lord wants us to be. You can have passion for sports. You can have passion for music. You can have passion for other things. But make sure that your first passion is Jesus Christ. Because he is worthy of your passion. Amen. Amen. And so the first thing the Lord exhorts them is, is to repent. To stop being lukewarm. And to be zealous, to be passionate for him. Let's continue. And and the second thing the Lord exhorts them to do is is open up. The Lord exhorts them to open up. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so the second thing the Lord exhorts this church to do is open up and let him in. This is the picture behind it, okay? A lot of people take verse 20 and and, and right away they say, well, the Lord is making an invitation to non-believers. Hey, open up your heart and let me be your savior. Now, that is true and, and, and that's a way you can look at the verse. But the immediate context is that the Lord is speaking to his church. And so this is the whole idea behind it. The church of Laodicea were so busy, were so into themselves, that they kicked Jesus out of the church. And he's at the door and he's knocking. Let me in. Let me back in to My church, these so-called believers, this so-called church, they got so caught up with the things of this room, of this world, that they didn't make room for Jesus. And Jesus is on the outside, knocking on the door. Let me in. The Lord of the church is outside of his church, trying to get back. In verse 20, it's such an important verse because if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to us. If we're not careful as believers. You see, in life, we get busy. Amen? In life, we get busy. Amen? What do we get busy with? We get busy with work. Amen. It's good to work. It's a blessing from God. We get busy with school. We get busy with friends. We get busy with family. We get busy even here at church in ministry. So in in life, we get busy. There's things to do. But if we're not careful, 
this is what could happen. We can get so busy with the things, the responsibilities we have, that we could not make room for Jesus. And Jesus finds himself on the outside, knocking on the door, trying to come in. We get so busy. We get so caught up that we neglect our time with Jesus. And that's what happened to this church. And that's why this church was in such a bad condition. Because the Savior was on the outside instead of being on the inside, instead of being in the center. And I would just encourage you, make time for Jesus. Remember, the Lord, he's knocking, but he's not going to break the door down. You got to open it up. The Lord is a gentleman. The Lord gives us the opportunity to exercise free will, and he's knocking. And you need to open up every day. Spend time with him. Dine with him. Fellowship with him. And allow Jesus to be your all in all. And the Lord this morning, he's knocking on your heart. And what are you doing with that knock? You know, this is what's going to happen. This morning, there the Lord's knocking on all of our hearts. Some will ignore and some will leave this place the same way they arrived. Now, some they will not ignore, but they will not take action. They'll just kind of be in the middle. Say, okay, Lord, I, I felt your tug. I felt your knock, but I'm going to wait on opening. And they'll leave this room, this place, not changed, but, but just more thinking about it. And they'll go home and, and they'll think a little bit more. And then tomorrow comes and they're back to square one. Now, third types of people this morning, they hear the knock, they know the Lord's tugging, and they open the door. And they say, Lord, this morning I want everything you have for me. And I pray and ask that you would be the third type. And that this morning you would just open your heart to Jesus. If you're a non-believer, accept him into your life. If you're a believer, accept everything he has for you today. He's knocking and we need to open up. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We need to open our hearts to Jesus. Let's finish up and look at the fourth thing. And as I'm covering this point, I'm going to call Jonah to the front. I'm going to have my brothers prepare for communion. The fourth and final thing we want to look at is found in verse 21. And it's the promise by Christ. The Lord promises this church and all those who overcome genuine believers one thing a throne let's read verse 21 together and we're going to end with this to him who overcomes i will grant to sit with me on my throne as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne and so 
to finish the message, this is what the Lord promises the church. All those who open their hearts to Jesus and all those that receive him as their personal Savior and Lord, the Lord promises them that one day they're going to rule and reign with him. You know, the Bible teaches us and promises us that one day Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth and we're going to return with him and we are going to rule and reign with him as he establishes his kingdom here on earth. You know, every time I think about that, I think about, man, what a day that's going to be when I'm with the Lord Jesus, ruling and reigning in glory. But the truth is that that day hasn't arrived yet. That's our hope. That's our living hope. But it hasn't been fulfilled yet. And we still find ourselves fighting the good fight and running the good race. And that's why we need to stay faithful. We need to stay committed. And we need to stay passionate for Jesus. You know, that's really what the Lord showed me through this message to the church of Laodicea. That the Lord Jesus desires that we would be passionate for him. The Lord gave everything for us and he expects us to give everything for him and I would just encourage you be passionate for Christ don't hold back but give the Lord everything that you have because he is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering Let's stand and let's...